From Thriller Digital, welcome to Secrets, Lies, and Alibis. I'm your host, James Lee. Due to the graphic nature of this murder case, listener discretion is advised. Episode 4, The State versus Clemente. It's late February in 2006, and the double murder trial of Clemente Aguirre Harkin is set to take place in Seminole County Circuit Court. At this point, it has been nearly two years since the murders. Since Clemente waived his right to a speedy trial, which would have required the trial to begin as early as March of 2005, the prosecution and defense have had nearly two years to build their respective cases. Clemente's very limited English presents a severe language barrier during the trial, so he wears headphones while someone translates everything from English to Spanish for him. Therefore, everything he hears through the headphones is delayed. If he hears incorrect information, he has little time, if any, to discuss it with his attorney before they move on. This puts him at a disadvantage. He's also at another disadvantage, because as a Honduran, he is unfamiliar with the U.S. justice system and his rights, so he follows the advice of his attorney without question. One of the first witnesses to take the stand is Samantha Williams' boyfriend, Mark Van Sant. He notes that he and Samantha are engaged at the time of the trial. They have been together for six years at this point. He testifies that he went over to Samantha's house around 7 to 7.30 on June 16th. He says when he was there, Carol, Cheryl, and Samantha were in the house, and they were just talking and made a few strawberry daiquiris. He said he and Samantha decided to go back to his house around 11 or 11.30 and took his truck. He says that when they got to his house, that he and Samantha talked for a little while, watched TV, and fell asleep. They had discussed the night before that he would go over to her house to get some wet clothes out of the washer, since her dryer wasn't working, and he would put her clothes in his dryer at home. He says he woke up around 8.45 on June 17th, got in his truck, and headed over to her house. When he got there, the door was unlocked as it always is, and that's when he first discovered Cheryl and called 911. Samantha then takes the stand and reiterates again the scenario that Clemente was in her house at night, standing near her bed while she was sleeping, and that she yelled at him to get out of her house, showed him to the door, and locked the door behind him. She said that they specifically asked him not to come over after dark. She also testifies that about a week before the murders, her grandmother said she had seen someone walking into the trailer portion of their house, so her mother went over there to see who it was. It turned out to be Clemente, and she asked him to leave. In a move that might be considered risky, Clemente takes the stand to testify to his innocence. He tells the court that he had seen Carol before, but that he had never talked to her. He said he knew Samantha and Cheryl very well. He says he arrived at their house on June 17, 2004, around 6 a.m., to get a beer from them. He was going to knock on the door, because one time when he came over to their house late, they were like, hey, if you want to come over late at night and get a beer, that's fine. Just knock on the door first. He said every single time since, he made sure to knock on the door first, but this time, the door was already open a bit. He tried pushing the door open, but it was difficult. He got inside and saw blood everywhere and Cheryl's body, so touched her neck. He says he asked her to wake up about three times, but she never woke up. He then bent down and lifted her and put his hand on her neck. Her face was down, so it was hard for him to touch her. He put her over his legs and then touched her arm, 
He said, I told her to get up, but she wouldn't, and then I put her back. He said she wasn't breathing anymore. They ask him if he saw any weapons, and he says he did see a knife on a box, like a beer box possibly, but he wasn't sure. They ask Clemente if the knife looked similar to him, like he had seen it before, and he says yes, he had seen it in his house. He says after he put Cheryl down, he went to the left room. He says the door was open, and once he went through the room, he saw Carol and her wheelchair, and she was underneath the table next to the sofa. He said he also touched her, but she wasn't breathing. He left the room and went back to where Cheryl was, and in a panic, he grabbed the knife and screamed, is anybody here, about three times. No one answered. He went to Samantha's room and saw that everything was thrown everywhere, and then he left. He says he took the knife with him, but he doesn't know why. He knows why he originally grabbed it, but he doesn't know why he took it with him. He says he threw the knife, but didn't remember at the time where he had thrown it, but now knows where the police found it. He tells the court that he didn't call the police because he's an illegal immigrant and they would deport him. So now he's admitted to holding the murder weapon, the weapon that was found with Cheryl's DNA on it. Some might think his story isn't exactly believable. Is he trying to make up a plausible reason he would have been holding any knife, much less a murder weapon? He then says he put his bloody clothes in a bag and threw it on the roof because he had intended to burn it. When he came forward, however, he disclosed to police where the bag of clothes were. Clemente says he decided to go to the police after a conversation with his friend, who he had been drinking with the night before. He didn't tell the police about the knife because soon after telling them he had gone into the house, they started accusing him of killing them. He says, he wanted me to say that I had done it. He told me he would help me before the judge if I said that I had killed them. Clemente didn't tell them that he had seen the second woman, Carol, dead for the same reason. The police officer was telling him it was difficult to believe him because how is it possible to go to someone's house, find a person dead, and not call the police? In a later interview on All Rise with Diane Godfrey, Clemente said, in America, when you're a kid, they teach you if you hear or see any trouble or any crime to call 911. In Honduras, they teach you not to call the police, period. Law enforcement officers, physicians, and crime lab analysts testify about the evidence at the crime scene and the victim's wounds. Evidence shows that Cheryl had been stabbed a total of 129 times, which leads to the theory that this was a crime of passion and not likely committed by a stranger. Cheryl suffered severe lung and leg stab wounds, one of which severed her femoral artery, specifically the main blood vessel that supplies blood to the lower body. If severed, bleeding to death would only take a few minutes. She had also suffered stab wounds to her arms, legs, back, hands, feet, and chest. A fatal wound was a stab wound to her left lung, she also had numerous defensive wounds on her hands and feet, indicating a fierce struggle. Carol, Cheryl's disabled, elderly mother, died as a result of a stab wound to the left ventricle of her heart. It could be argued that there are at least two hypothetical situations to explain Carol's lack of defensive wounds. One, Carol knew the attacker and didn't suspect anything. Or two, she was caught off guard or had fallen asleep. She could have also been stabbed in the back first and not have seen the attacker, followed by the stab to the heart. According to one testimony, 
The stab wounds are consistent with being caused by the chef's knife found between the victim's residence and Clemente's home. As we stated earlier, the knife had Cheryl's blood on the handle and Carol's blood on the blade. An analyst testifies that this indicates Carol was killed first. Police discover 67 bloody shoe impressions at the crime scene, 64 of which are consistent with the shoes Clemente was wearing, where Cheryl's blood was also discovered on the bottoms. Clemente's shorts had contact stains on the front and back, according to a bloodstain pattern analyst testifying for the prosecution. The analyst asserts that the back of his shorts also had blood stains from blood spatter, indicating that blood was sprayed during the crime. According to the same analyst, Clemente's socks also had blood stains consistent with dropped blood. Donna Burks, the fingerprint examiner, claims she found Aguirre's fingerprint on the knife. Samantha tells the jury again that she spent the night of the murders with her boyfriend Mark, and Mark corroborates her story in his own testimony. Samantha, Mark testifies, was sleeping next to him when he woke up at 4 a.m. to use the restroom. He claims that while he is a light sleeper, Samantha is a deep sleeper. He confirms that she was still dressed in clothes similar to what she had been wearing before they went to sleep. During those moments of 2004, Mark claims he was driving a very loud 600-horsepower diesel truck with a customized exhaust that he had parked on the street. During the night, he did not hear the truck start. And to even attempt to reduce the noise of his truck, one must be familiar with the accelerator. The driver's seat was exactly where he had left it, and Samantha had no idea how to operate the heavy-duty truck. Despite the fact that Mark was one of the last people to see the victims alive, was the first to report their deaths, and that he and Samantha had given inconsistent statements in their initial interviews, Clemente's trial counsel does not cross-examine Mark. Clemente's trial counsel never even spoke to Mark or investigated him in any way leading up to the trial. They subpoena Mark for deposition, but when he fails to show, trial counsel makes no effort to get him to appear in court, nor did they try to contact him to arrange an interview. Did you know that one in five Americans have had at least one package stolen off their porch in the last 12 months? Eufy's security cameras can help ward off potential porch pirates with their groundbreaking facial recognition technology that determines if an object is human, a vehicle, or an animal. It can even recognize and identify different faces. Eufy has no monthly fee, so once you purchase your Eufy cameras, that's it. No more payments. Right now, you can get a discount on Eufy security cameras by clicking the link in our show notes. Eufy. Smart Home Simplified. February 22, 2006. Testimony of Feliciano Cicada, roommate of Clemente. Direct examination. Feliciano, Clemente's roommate, testifies that they had one white and two black knives that were similar, and that the white one looked like the bloody knife found, but he wasn't sure if it was the same one. He says that the day of June 17th, Clemente had come into his room to use the phone. But then the police came to their house to ask them questions. They only spoke Spanish, so they didn't understand them. He says Clemente was acting normal and didn't seem nervous or anything out of the ordinary. Psychologist Deborah Day also testifies. Clemente made an interesting statement to Deborah Day back on January 25th, 2005. She recalls him telling her that Salvador... 
the friend Clemente had visited after he left Pretzels on the night of the murders, had advised him not to speak to the police. The following is Clemente's account of the conversation between him and Salvador. Clemente, I went with Salvador to get cigarettes. I told Salvador two women had, and I had blood on my clothes. Salvador says, yes, you killed them. He said, don't you remember? He said, no, don't you remember we went to steal drugs and you killed them? You did it with a knife. I started to think he was lying. How did he know about the knives? He never mentioned, I never mentioned a knife, only the blood. I was going to tell him I touched things. Truth is, I, I don't remember killing them. Turn myself in. No, I'm illegal. Salvador, they're white. They'll kill you. Clemente, how do you know? Salvador, I was there. Clemente, why didn't you stop me? Salvador, I tried. The truth is, the Puerto Rican and you did it. You were fighting in front of the woman's house. You came out. What are you going to do, my friend? The Puerto Rican grabbed her, hit her, killed her, and the Puerto Rican killed the other one. Clemente, the Puerto Rican killed one? If Puerto Rican never went to police, Salvador, you're a liar. You lie. Clemente later tells Deborah that Salvador said telling Clemente he and the Puerto Rican killed them was a game. He said he was so drunk that he didn't remember anything that he had said and didn't remember anything about a Puerto Rican. He admitted to going to Cheryl and Carol's home twice and scaring Carol when he came in unannounced and was told to leave. Clemente goes on to tell Deborah that Samantha actually had a relationship with his roommate, Guillermo. One time, she and a friend came over to their place, and Guillermo, Feliciano, Clemente, and some other people were there. Guillermo and Samantha were making out and touching each other in front of everyone. Clemente tells Deborah they used to steal food from the restaurant and once stole a broken pot, and they would take some knives to cut their own meat. He said when they stole things, they would hide them in their pants. He said the knives would get dull after a while, so they would bring them back and steal other sharper ones. Guillermo stole some and would give them to his friends. Following this is the deposition of psychologist William Reebsame. Dr. Reebsame interviewed Clemente and conducted a 344-question personality test as well. During the interview, Clemente made several references to his problematic drinking and talked extensively about his cocaine use. The test results corroborated his claims of drug and alcohol abuse. Clemente claimed to have been drinking and using cocaine heavily from 11 a.m. on June 16th to 3 or 4 a.m. on June 17th, and to save you the time of counting, a little over 16 hours, thus likely explaining his ability to stay up drinking until 6 a.m. He tells Dr. Reebsame that he had six pitchers of beer, 10 individual beers, a couple of tequilas, possibly a Jack Daniels, and several grams of cocaine during this time period. Given that he consistently drank heavily and used cocaine frequently, his tolerance was much higher than normal. Dr. Reebsame claims, regarding Clemente's scores, there are some test scores on the aggressiveness scale that go in the direction of physical aggression as well. More often than not, he's going to appear as an individual who's in control of his aggressiveness or in control of his feelings and presents himself in a civil way much of the time. And then you have these rather kind of unexpected temper outbursts, and then he quickly regains control of himself. His overall physical aggression rating was a score of 66, with a median score being 50. So his score was in a moderately elevated range. Looking at each side, and in an effort to keep an unbiased view, 
both can be seen as making valid points. The defense presents a strong case with five people substantiating Clemente's alibi and his whereabouts the night of the murder, all between 9 p.m. and 2 a.m., as well as the police report corroborating the fight he'd been in the night before. For the prosecution, the missing knife from the kitchen where Clemente worked was the same type of knife that was found between the two houses, and there was a positive identification on his palm print matching the print on the knife. In combination with the matching shoe prints and bloody clothes, the interesting conversation he disclosed to Deborah Day that he had had with Salvador, and the large amounts of alcohol consumption and drug use on the day of the murders certainly casts doubt on his innocence. On February 28, 2006, eight days after the start of the trial, the jury convicts Clemente Aguirre Harkin, a 24-year-old Honduran immigrant, of first-degree murder and burglary. On our next episode, we'll be exploring the case post-verdict, hearing the jury's verdict on the death penalty, and taking a second look at evidence that hadn't been presented or discussed in court. And if this case teaches us anything, is that there's no such thing as a secret. You'll always get caught if you lie, and it's important to have an alibi. See you next time.